It's time for Panamaniacs. They're zany to the max. So sit back and relax. You'll love till you collapse. Beaten by the Panamaniacs. Hey, Tom, do you hear about the James Bond movie? I hear it's a big Dr. No. Hey, everybody, you're with Week in the Tackle, everyone's favorite podcast that sort of talks about football, but also about the movies that I've been to and why I hated them. I'm Tom Rennie, radio personality, legendary raconteur. Alongside me is swordsman of the 90s, Brian Dunseth. How are you, mate? You all right? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, uh, Tom, you only live twice is what I've heard. Uh, But with regards to this new James Bond movie, it's for your eyes only. I'm actually, uh, I'm glad you did some research from last week. I only took you a full week to find out two of the titles, Octopussy. Um, but the trouble is, is that I went, I went on Saturday. I'm, I'm actually meeting a bunch of friends who are a bunch of massive Bond fans on Thursday so we can rag on this movie uh, for a good four or five hours in the pub because I don't want to ruin it for anybody. No spoilies here. Uh, unlike the people who have been getting in touch with me to tell me what happens in the last episode of Ted Lasso. I've not had the time, Bill. So don't tweet me, all right? I've not had the time to watch it. Um, but I just, I really didn't like it. I really didn't like the Bond film. And I love the Bond films. And Daniel Craig's done a great job. But, I mean, there was too many characters. The plot was wafer thin. Uh, and the ending was just crap. Mm. And I really, really hated it. And I'm disappointed to have hated it. Because, like I explained to you last week, it's a bit of a cultural thing over here. And look. Yeah. I sat through the one with Pierce Brosnan and Madonna. Okay, so let's not go crazy. It wasn't as bad as that. The Invisible Car and John Cleese and that utter garbage. But you knew what they were going to do. But then when they did it, I was like, oh, I don't like, I, don't, I didn't like it was going to happen anyway. Yeah. Like the way the, the whole ending went. But I also didn't like, I didn't like the whole plot. The whole plot, I hated it. I just hated it. So, so thanks for so, bringing it up. I actually so we- left the movie and my wife was sitting next to me, obviously, and she was like, Oh, did you enjoy that? I thought it was quite good. And I, you know, she completely didn't expect me to go. I really hated that. <laughs> and so then, yeah, then we're, yeah, we're, we're living and letting it die, is what you're saying. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Ready to die another day. Uh, I'll put my gold finger on the pulse of football instead and have a golden eye mm. on the Nations League. Hey, tell me about Panama. Uh, I thought you were a greater football now. Oh, uh, no, we're not. We're not. Not on days like this. Not on days like this. Uh, Greg Berhalter, for those that have not paid attention or are looking for his resignation, not going to happen, but that doesn't mean we cannot be, um, that we have to be compliant with a result like this because it's not good enough. And we can talk about intensity. We can talk about being outcompeted. We can talk about being disconnected with and without the ball. The reality is, again, we're talking about a group of players that in the second round of World Cup qualifying, a second group of games, second phase of World Cup qualifying for this rather inexperienced group that's missing some players. Let's point out some of the obvious. There, there's, there's, for me, it, it, is a, it is a bitter pill to swallow because there continues to be this, this narrative of, Okay, we're okay. We can go on the road. We can get a result. The results matter. It's not necessarily mm. about the win. It's that you get points on the road, and that's fine. But I don't like that mentality. I don't like that mentality because let me throw out some simple stats. I, I think it's, uh, and I'll pull out my trusty, handy dandy notebook. Oh, he's done some work here. He's done some work. Is it a list of Bond films? No, it's not. Uh, but it was 13 games unbeaten. Yeah, that's a real thunderbolt of things yeah. for the U.S. men's national team heading mm. into this game. 
Six wins, zero losses, two draws versus Panama in World Cup qualifying. 16 wins, one loss, six draws all time against Panama. Two wins, zero losses, two draws against Panama in World Cup qualifying. That was too quick for me to follow. That was like being an auction and someone was selling me a Banksy. Yahtzee. I couldn't understand what you were saying there. Yahtzee. Sold to the gentleman from Saudi Arabia for 700 billion pounds. So here's the way to look at it. There, there's two ways, Tom. Uh, one, yeah. you can say 23 years, 20 days is the average age in the starting 11. The average mm. caps, just 23 caps. Uh, five starters that were under the age of 23. All those matter, right? All those matter. Doesn't. Because you lost. Yeah. I, I, I didn't see the game. We don't get the US games live over here. So as we record it, I've only seen kind of the winning goal Andorra. and the fallout. Yeah. Uh, we, do, we just don't we don't get it over here, yeah. you know, because, you know, I mean, we do have the NFL at Tottenham, which I'm mean, loving all the English people saying, getting on the ground with that. Oh, I've always loved the Nuffle. It's great. The Nuffle's a wonderful thing. Yeah, they call it Point NFL, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Point fine. Don't worry. Um, but... I loved how positive everything was two days ago and how negative everything's are. I Next really US. think Americans are getting yeah. soccer. That's how I yeah. know now. Yeah. Because there's none of this like, oh, game by game, inch by inch. It's yep. no glory or disaster. Yep. You win or you lose. This squad's going to win the World Cup. We expect a semi-final at least to. We're not even going to qualify. Remember Trinidad. I love it. It's Four great. years ago, by the way. Yesterday, yes. The, the, yes. this state has not been kind to the U.S. men's national team. Four years ago, down in Trinidad, Tobago, uh, there's like six scenarios, Tom, that had to go wrong for the U.S. not to qualify for the World Cup. And number yeah. one was all you had to do was win or draw. And you ended up losing against a group of players that uh, it was the, the baby brother of the guy who played for the Seattle Sounders that scored a banger from 45 yards at a diagonal on Tim Howard. And since that moment in time, we have been in the burn it all down mode uh, for U.S. soccer fan base. And that's exactly what happened. People, people forget when you look at from the hierarchy of U.S. soccer, literally everybody has changed, including the coaches on the men's yeah. and women's side. There's been general managers instituted on the men's and women's side. You have a, 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 new, a new CEO, a new soccer president, a new vice president, and a new kind of director of football, which is Ernie Stewart. Really, the only people that are still there that were there four years ago are kind of the PR group. That's it. The, the management from the PR side, mm. the problem for Greg Berhalter, and he's a good friend of the show on counterattack comes on all the time. Uh, both Tony and I have played with him at various levels uh, on the national team and in club soccer. Uh, I think he's an intelligent manager. I think he does. I think he does a good job. He's got the potential to do a good job. But I think much like any time an MLS player is included into the U.S. men's national team starting 11, there's this hatred, there's this vitriol, there is this holier than thou because they're not playing in Europe, they're not good enough to play national team, uh, the full national team. Uh, the, the problem for Greg is that while he's come out of New Jersey, went to North Carolina, went to Holland, played in England, played in Germany, ended the United States, was an assistant coach for Bruce Arena, was a head coach in Sweden, was a head coach in Major League Soccer, uh, had gone to an MLS Cup final. All those four things that you think would normally check the box for a head coach to have experience or yeah. at least have the boxes that you would want checked that is played for the U.S. Men's National Academy, has gone through qualifying, that has gone to a World Cup. 
he checks all those boxes, but he comes from Major League Soccer. And because he's not the sexy choice, because he's not Tata Martino, who was mm. in Atlanta, and just hold mm. on, stay with me. Okay, that, right, he went down right. to Mexico, that he's not a, 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 a Jose Mourinho or a, a European head coach, that all of a sudden there's not equity in his name. So when these things happen, Tom, when you go yeah. and you win against Jamaica 2-0, but you lose against Panama, you go from, as you just said, the heights of glory yeah. and wisdom and success to the failures of this guy's not good enough. Serious questions need to be answered. And ultimately it's not about the players on the field as much as it becomes about the head coach. I think it's cool. I, I love talking to Americans about the Greg Bearholder situation. I really do enjoy it because the amount of times people bring that story to me, you do it. Lots of people do, which is like, you know, there's a lack of respect of him because he's not a sexy name. I don't see that from the people within soccer in the US. There might be some fans that think that, but I don't see it from anyone who's actually involved. Anyone I've spoken to that's involved, people like you who know it inside out. I don't think anyone actually feels that that disrespect that seems to be a narrative that, that is somewhere that I haven't, haven't really seen. Maybe some fans think that, but I think the issue is they go into a lot of games to not get beat. They clearly went into this game to not get beat. The senior players, wherever they play, seem to not be there a lot. The striker's only 18. You can't run an 18-year-old striker, however good he might be. Well, he was only a sub last night. Yes, so but he... I mean, in, in general, you haven't got anyone else. If he's not there, who else is going to play there? I mean, well, Sarge doesn't even make the squad these days. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. You know, and, there's and no one. Jossi, Jossi coming back into the starting 11 and some chances not scored. And yeah, there, there's... This, this is why there's, there, there, yeah. there's massive issues there. I, I think that people are quite accepting of that. The trouble is they go into games to not get beat and America feel like they should go into games to win, which is basically what you said a minute ago. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the moment, you aren't there. Hmm. And I think it's quite interesting this. I read a massive think piece on Steve Bruce this morning and the piece of it was... The 8 million be the next. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was how much money can you get to be sacked? Why hasn't yeah. he quit? And the answer is cashola. But it feels a little bit like Bearholter's a bit like the Steve Bruce don't be the coach in this role. Be the coach after the coach. You know, if he gets them qualified, and you'll get them qualified. You'll qualify. I wouldn't worry too much about that after one loss. Oh. There's enough games. I think you, you've still got enough to make the cut. Um, you'll probably win off, finish second in that group anyway. Wouldn't worry. Wouldn't worry too much. Mm. Uh, I don't think people within the camp are going to be worried in the same way fans are. But mm. I'd love to be the next person in charge of the U.S. I would love to be the next person in charge. Well, Maybe you take some into that World Cup or take some after that heading towards to, the next World Cup that's going to be partly in the US. I yeah. love that job. That well, might be where you get your your but, profile but, manager. Yeah, but that's also, well, it's low hanging. I get what you're saying. Steve Bruce. It, no, I get what you're saying. It, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Bruce C. USC. No. B-O-U-S-E. We, 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 so we went just just to be cut. We went from David Moyes to Big Sam, and now we're over to Steve Bruce for head coach yes. to the US. You, you Brits. You Brits. Yeah. Is Amanda Stavely going to be the manager of the team? She I mean, can do I'm... what she wants, it would seem. When you're <laughs> backed by a sovereign wealth fund, you can basically do what you want. You can do she can whatever buy us. you want. Amanda, if you're listening, you can buy this podcast now. Yeah. Let her make the offer. Don't don't set. You're going to undersell us. Um, here, here you're, you're right. I get what you're saying. You want to be the guy after Greg Berhalter. Here's the other reason why, why if, if that's the narrative that people want, this generation is going to be really good. Yeah. I, and I know when you lose to Panama, you're going to be like, oh, I don't know what are you talking about? It's typical American. Oh, I think you're going to be so good at soccer. Uh, but I do I do think, and and Tony, I, I can remember coming on air the day after four years, this today, four years ago, and Miola 
just gently trying to remind everybody, I've been involved with the youth national team and I've seen what this next generation coming through looks like. Mm. And we're starting to see that. Now, we can talk about player rotation. We can talk about opportunity with the fa- with the failure of player rotation for players to take hold of that said opportunity. We we can say that, you know, if Greg Berhalter doesn't rotate seven players coming off the the win against Jamaica, and oh by the way, just to make it evidently clear for everyone, Anthony Robinson, Zach Steffen, and Weston McKinney did not travel to Panama because of quarantine concern um so they went straight to columbus that's on top of missing christian Pulisic, geo reyna uh, a couple of other guys uh but that you know you could also chalk that up to poor planning you could say hold on a second if you knew you were going to lose these three players for panama why wouldn't you have three more players in at the end of the day for me we can talk about player rotation we can talk about subs we can talk about all that comes down to the players themselves if you are not up for a match against panama in panama knowing that from the very first minute that they're going to have the crowd behind you, that you have to get up for the intensity, the tough tackling, the possession, the dark arts, all of those things, the manipulation of the referee. And by the way, Tom, we don't have VAR in CONCACAF. No, don't. The dummies over at CONCACAF didn't, didn't plan correctly for having They had VAR. it in Andorra. Yeah. They literally had it in Andorra. And they could get it to the ground. Panama and the United States. Are you kidding me? VAR kidding was in me? Andorra, but it burned to the ground the day before. I love, Let's, I love the monitor was on, like everything was on uh, fire and there's the VAR monitor right before. <laughs> not I good think enough it was, in Panama. Last thing, not good enough. Yeah. We'll see what the turnaround looks like for Costa Rica. Expected to be a stronger squad, but game's going to be at the new Columbus Crew Stadium in Columbus against Costa Rica. And you're right. I mean, they're three points off Mexico, but they were ahead of Mexico at the mm. opening whistle in Panama. Moonraker. Uh, let's talk a bit about VAR uh, and the Nations League final. I don't know. Uh, this is the game I watched this weekend. Yeah. I, could, I couldn't watch a great deal of football. But it, you know, technically, it's kind of my week off as well. So I try not to watch that much. Though I did go and see Bond and the many Saints of Newark. So I kind of wish I watched the third place playoff now. Um, but let's talk about the final. One by France. Yada, yada, yada. Decent game of football in the end. But I want to talk about the winner. I want to talk about this Mbappe winner because mm. he's offside. Mm. He is offside when the ball is played to him. And I will not be convinced otherwise unless Brian Dunseth can convince me otherwise, in which case I will be convinced otherwise. Now, if you haven't (laughs) seen this, the ball is being slipped through to Kylian Mbappe, who is offside. Now, in the rules, and this is the pivotal point of the discussion that's been had since, it is not an offence to be in an offside position. That is the line in the rules. And they on the replay have seen that Eric Garcia, the Spain defender, has stretched out to the through ball, going to Mbappe, and he touches the ball. Now, there's no reason for Garcia to stretch out to touch that ball unless Mbappe is behind him and he feels he will be in on goal if he doesn't try and do something. Mbappe being offside when that ball was played to him gave him an advantage. The ball was played to him, and there's no thing in the rules about, like, when you become active, when you are not active, when the ball is played to you, who makes that decision? Um, however, when the ball is played through to Mbappe, he's in an offside position and runs towards that ball. Now, in my understanding of the active interpretation of what offside is, that is offside. Mm. If Mbappe is not running after the through ball, it then hits Garcia, it then makes him become active, he'd be onside. But what Mbappe does 
makes Garcia do what he does and he should be offside. Um, oh. Let me just give you a quick reaction to this yeah. before I see, because I had a couple of quotes that translated from Spanish, because the Spanish are livid. They are furious about it, as you'd imagine. Here's Eric Garcia himself. It was clearly offside. I won't do the accent. It was clearly <laughs> offside. The referee told me that I tried to play the ball. Yep. What should I do? Step aside and let him run? Apparently, that is the rule. Here's Sergio Busquets. To us on the field, it looked offside. The referee told us that Eric tried to play the ball, so the offside was cancelled. But that doesn't make any sense. He tried to intercept the ball. He didn't play it and lose control of it. He slid in because Mbappe would have been through. I can't see any logical answer, even trying to twist and bend and interpret the rules, which I have in front of me right now, which I always like to do when we have these sorts of discussions, go back to the rules and try and work out the interpretation of them. Yep. And I can't see how, looking at the rules and looking at that goal, how that goal could have stood. Explain it to me. Yeah, I, I, I knew the moment that they were looking at it in that sense, the moment that Eric Garcia tried to play the ball, despite where Kylian Mbappe was at the time, that they were going to allow that goal to stand. And you know why? Mm. It happened to me on a broadcast four years ago. Oh. Uh, maybe five years ago. The same exact thing. I'll give you this scenario. Real Salt Lake against San Jose. The defender at the time. No, it's actually longer than that. Anyways, defender at the time, Hamasin Alave, is stood still, holding the line. Chris Wondolowski's like three or four yards in an obvious offside position. When the ball is played, Hamasin makes a foot movement to try to block the ball. As he makes that foot movement to try to block the through ball, the moment that he touches the ball, it resets the play and it negates Wondolowski being in an offside position because he as the defender is the last person to touch the ball. Because, and this is what I was told by the referees because I ran it up the flagpole because I could not wrap my head around you're so just to use the what Eric Garcia said, what you said. How am I supposed to allow a ball to be played in when my job is to keep said ball from going through? He's playing in an offside position. He knows he's taking the attempt of being in an offside position. And as that ball's being played, of course, because he's in an offside position, I'm attempting to play the ball because I'm not sure where he is in line with me off my back shoulder. They said it absolutely resets the play, and that's why. He is in an onside position. You take him being an offside position completely off the board. It's a brand new play. The whole identity of killing Mbappe when he's being played, I thought at first it was, oh, giving the advantage to the attacking player. Mm. Ooh, that's quite the advantage he's giving to yes. the attacking player. And then they show the replay of the touch. And you're like, that's right then, Tom. That was the moment when I said, In my, I've seen it. I understand what they're doing. I don't agree with it but this is how they're going to explain it. But here's what blows my mind about it, because when you cover games as you do, and I do as well, of course, you watch a lot of games, the amount of times a player is standing in an offside position when the ball is played through to him. Now, the rules have changed a bit recently. Only put your flag up when that player is finished or is clearly offside or VR will check it. So it's all changed a bit anyway, and you're trying to come to terms with when you call an offside and when you don't. So it's tough for the linos. Tough for the VARs, tough for people who call it, tough for people who play, because the rules have changed. You've played it for 20 years one way, and suddenly it's a different way. So it is difficult for everybody. Fans to watch it as well. So I understand that point. However, the amount of times, even going back a couple of weekends, I went to the Brentford game a couple of weeks ago, and a ball went through to Mikel Antonio. Antonio was standing offside. He then became active to try and chase the high ball over the top, and the offside flag went off. Yeah. 
But unless he actually touches it now, according to this interpretation of this rule, then he shouldn't have been given offside because he didn't actually get anywhere near the ball. So now you can stand 20 yards offside, the ball can be played to you, and you can run about towards that ball without not touching it, right? And if you don't touch it, then now it would seem you're going to be onside. That, that, and that is not what actively happens. And they call it a save. You know, the way they word these rules in the IFAB website is so annoying, right? So a save is when a player stops or attempts to stop a ball which is going into or very close to the goal or any part of the body except yada, yada, yada. So essentially, what Garcia is doing there is trying to save the ball, right, in the interpretation of these rules that I can tell. So he's trying to save the ball from going through to Mbappe. When he tries to make that save of the ball then that's what plays Mbappe on side. But yeah. you will see it next weekend when the Premier League returns. Yeah. You'll see it in the next set of international games this week that somebody will be offside and they'll start running towards the ball and the offside flag will go up. Yep. And that will happen to... I know Eric Garcia's in the back line there. I couldn't tell you the entire back four at that moment. That's a bit of Quater, I think, is in there. Um, but they're all going to do one this weekend. They'll be like, well, hold on a minute. We lost the Nations League final on this exact same thing. And the funny thing is, these are English referees. So it's Anthony Taylor and Craig Pawson. And I'm not sure the VAR was, but they certainly are the two that are the, the fourth official and the, and the referee. They're going to disallow a goal for this next weekend, one of them. I guarantee it. Yeah. So you can see why they're furious about it. It needs in, a tweak. Yeah, it needs a tweak. And, and this is, comes but back to But does it need you... a tweak? Or should no, we but... just get back to this? If, yeah. if they do this every week, I'm happy. But see, this is again. It's 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 the verbiage, and and I'll give you another example. Something else happened to me. It was where a goal, a, a player's in an offside position, attacking players in an offside position. The goalkeeper is then playing the pass because the attempt he knows through his peripheral vision to his left that the attacking player is in an offside position. So he's trying to read it and come out. As the deflection ends up coming in, it, it ends up as an own goal. My question to the referees uh, was simple. He's in an offside position. You're trying to say that out of his peripheral vision as a goalkeeper who sees everything in front of him, that he's not trying to anticipate, read the cutoff ball, go to ground, and instead, because it's deflection, all of a sudden the goal should stand because he wasn't playing the ball. He was playing a player in an offside position. That player in an offside position had nothing to do with the play. The same question I had, Rennie, if I'm an attacking player, I'm standing in an offside position every single time. Yeah, of Why would I be onside? Because the moment that the defender makes a genuine attempt to play the ball, it resets the play, a la yeah. Kylian Mbappe, then what's the point? But they won't do that this weekend no. because someone will stand offside this weekend, they'll get past the ball, and they'll be waiting for that knock which puts them in from a defender, but they'll be given offside yeah. because a different interpretation of what is active will happen. Great. And you'll sit there and you'll be Spanish watching the TV and you'll be throwing your sangria out the window and chucking your paella all over the floor because you'll be furious at the decision you've seen because it's just cost you the Nations League final. It's cost you the kudos of winning. Look, people can say they don't respect this competition or whatever. That's fine. I think it's a pretty good tournament that they're trying to get rid of. You know, as Dale Johnson told us the other day on Sirius XM FC, it's worked so well and people like it so much because there's no more international friendlies that FIFA have gone... We need a slice of that pie. Let's do a World Cup every two years. There's obviously appetite for more competitive international football. They want rid of this so FIFA can make money of it. The Nations League's gone quite well, but it's now been decided on a rule interpretation that I simply don't agree with. And it was it was very, very annoying. You can see why the Spanish were massively, massively annoyed. But congratulations, France. Hey, by yeah. the way, did, congratulations. Did you, did, who, do you know who won the 2018-19 version of this tournament? Yeah. Who? Holland won it. It was Holland. <laughs> was it Holland? That's the point. Nobody cares about this tournament. Just like Holland Thibaut Courtois. Holland beat England in the semi-final last mm. time. Yep. So I remember that. But then as soon as we were out, 
switched it off and went to see a Bond film. <laughs> you know what? Regret it ever since. No, but it's still a, you know, I don't really, I couldn't probably name the last five World Cup winners. Yeah. It doesn't mean they weren't important. It just means that my memory is shit. Also this weekend was the third place playoff. Now, I don't want to talk about that. I actually don't know who won this uh, because I value my time. Uh, but it was between Belgium and Italy. And pre-week, I know it was Italy, Tim. It was just a joke. I'm doing a joke for the program. Uh, Italy, Belgium, 2-1, it finished. <clears throat> um, Thibaut Courtois, before the game, said it was a waste of time. What am I even doing here? Post-game, um, he spoke again about how much he thought this was a complete waste of time. Why am I playing in this tournament? He said... They don't care about the players. They just care about their pockets. Speaking about UEFA and FIFA, prioritising another international tournament. And he was asked about another World Cup and the sheer volume of games that, that these players are playing. Uh, another aspect to this is that during this international break, a bunch of injuries, as usual. Rafael Varane got injured in the final for, uh, for France playing against Spain. Um, I saw a piece about Borussia Dortmund players injured during just this international break. Akanji... Uh, Makoku, Hazard, Mounier, Guerrero, all injured during this break. I think West Ham would be in the Champions League right now if Declan Rice didn't get injured in the March international break and miss eight games. You know, the, and, and that's just not that's my sob story, but everyone out there listening has got one. I'm sure you've got one. You know, everyone has one of those. Um, and it isn't necessarily a question about reorganising the calendar, which I think is obvious that they should do. But what I would do here is, well, I want to ask you anyway, and I might get a different conversation going about why... There are games against Andorra, for example, for England, and England have to send the first team. So mm. if I'm, let's just say I'm Harry Kane, for example, right? I see the games coming up. Why can't I, as an employee of Tottenham Hotspur and someone who is paid to play for England nominally, they get their money goes to charity, but essentially they get a fee to play. Why can't I say, well, actually, uh, I'm taking two weeks holiday there. Like yeah. a normal person would. Like I did this week. I went, I went five days on a day. I don't want to cover the Andorra game. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Lots coming up. I'm quite tired. I haven't even got a run, but I still have to cover the games and yeah. I'm tired. Yeah. Never mind the players who do the running and the work and all that. Now, people don't often then say, but they're getting paid a whole bunch of money to do it. And that is absolutely fair. But I tell you what, I would take a quite sizable pay cut from £100,000 a week to say £80,000 a week if I could take my... 40 days mandated holiday. I'll go into work in July when there's no games. No worries. I'll be in every day. Got any games for me? Okay, well, I'll be in my office. Um, but in November, Thibaut Courtois should say, what are the games? Nations League. Nah, I'm going to go have dinner with the wife. I'm not playing these. I'm tired. I've had enough. I've got a job on. I'm sorry. That isn't a thing in football. And we might be getting there now because UEFA and FIFA and all the institutions clearly don't care about player welfare at all. They yeah. do not give a toss about player welfare. There'd be no conversation about a second World Cup. There'd be no conversation about a club World Cup. No discussion of a three internationals during a two-week break mid-season. It wouldn't even be on the table if player welfare was on the table. So, Dunny, my question is, why don't the players take this into their own hands and say, no, 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 I ain't playing. Why didn't Courtois do that? Yeah, well, first off, I think it would probably hit harder if it was a field player as opposed to a goalkeeper because the longevity of his career and the fact that he's standing there for 90 plus minutes. Um, <laughs> the physical side, Joel just Look at side. this defender Sorry, versus goalkeeper Tony bias Miola. already. Yeah. Unbelievable. Tony What's Miola? Miola done to you? I'm sure yes. he ran once. Standing there, warm-ups. You don't exhausted. get 100 caps occasionally having a jog. 
he sprinted out every time. Half time and at the start of the game, he was out more there. Of the mental side, Rennie. The mental side of goalkeeping. That's the exact. Um, all right. I don't even know where to start with this one. Uh, of course, it's a money grab. Everything's a money grab. Everything that we do is a money grab. Everything that Thibaut Courtois does is a money grab because he is at the height of his profession. Anytime Real Madrid plays international friendlies or goes on preseason tour or whatever it may be, it's because they are capitalizing on the amounts of money that they make. Now, the conversation about tournament format and bonus money for Belgium versus just World Cup qualifiers, there's not extreme amounts of money to represent your nation unless you're winning said tournaments. That's when the bonus structure comes in. Okay, great. We got all that. That's out of the table. The, for me, the difficulty in all this, it, it, you're right. He's right. But we, we know how it's going to happen. That anytime there's a national team call up, you have to go in. Mm. It does, or you fake an injury, and now because of FIFA's rules, you are then subsequently suspended and or not allowed to play for the following weekend match because that thing, you though? refused let, let, an international call-up. Let me follow up a question on that yeah. because why? that's absolutely right. That, that's, that is a thing. But why is that allowed? Why yeah. is it allowed? And also, I'll take my band, thank you. Yeah. You know what? I'm overworked. I'm playing too much. I played 70 games this year and I'm happy to give you X amount of my money this week. Find me for two weeks. That's absolutely fine. I earn four million pound a year. I'll make it 3.9 million pounds. I'll take some weekends off. I'm tired. I've had enough. I was crap last week against Everton and I'm getting criticized all over the world and all the world's media for my bad performance. And my bad performance came from the fact I played 90 games this year. Yeah. So sorry, I'm not going. Well, Find and, me, sue me. And and you're, you're let, let's bring it to your West Ham. That's exactly what Mikel Antonio's doing. Yeah. He, I mean, listen, Mikel Antonio. An agreement between West Ham and the yeah, Jamaican no, Federation and Mikel Antonio. I yeah. bet Jamaica were furious. Oh, could you imagine? All, all that. Furious. All that be, all that legwork to get him over the line to represent. You've seen his legs. That's some real legwork. It's huge, huge. Getting him on the plane is. It's you start realizing very quickly that the way that the setup is is to punish players that are deciding not to play for their national team. And mm-hmm. how many times have we seen managers or directors of nations, football squads come out publicly and fillet said player? for not caring about his nation, for not caring about the tournament, for not caring about qualifying because he stayed home because he's physically exhausted and can't play. So they institute this punishment rule that unless you're injured, you have to go. And I, for some reason, I specifically in the back of my mind, think about all of the African players, the African players that play in the premier league that have come out and we've seen Nigeria or we've seen Ghana, or we've seen some federation come out and say, that uh, this player is not going to be allowed to play unless he joins up with the national team. I- yeah. I'll give you, uh, there's, there's a player out here in Salt Lake City named Albert Rusnak, plays for Slovakia. He was the very last cut ahead of the Euros, the very last cut before the Euros. So imagine that devastation goes through all the qualifying. They qualify. He's the very last cut. He just got called in. He got called in. So he has to leave after the game in Austin, come back to Salt Lake City, and go back and play for a manager. And I haven't talked to Albert, so I'm speaking outside of the realm. Play for a manager that cut him mm. for the very last spot on the Euros this summer. You think he really wants to go play for this manager? I mean, when when you when you get when you get nut punched like that, it's like 
I'll wait for the new manager to show up. I don't need to play for this guy again. But even if he does, and uh, as you say, we, we don't know his opinions on it. However, but he's gotta go. let's just say that it's not a personal issue. He's just decided, you know what? I need some time away from being picked from Slovakia or I've got a really important game for my club or it's my kid's birthday or I don't know, which I think is a perfectly legitimate reason. I live in the US. I'm not flying to Slovakia. I don't know if I'm going to play and I'm tired. I'm tired. This is one of my 40 days off a year and I'm taking it now. And, and there's no, I, I, you know, this is, this comes down to maybe it's the strength of unions. Maybe the fact that there's no great strong union, certainly in this country, there's a player's union, but they clearly have no ability to look after player welfare. Otherwise this sort of stuff wouldn't happen. You know, they throw in another game here, throw in another game there, throw in another tournament there. Think about quarantine rules now. <sighs> this is, it goes back to a conversation of, we could have restructured this three or four year cycle of all football across the world because we knew that international travel was going to be a nightmare. Instead, we not only plowed on with what we previously did, we added games on top. Yeah. We added a Club World Cup on top. And you know what? What I want to see is clubs might have to do it and organizations might want to make them do it. I want to see more Courtois. What I'd like to have seen from Courtois is it's a third place playoff. I booked a flight home. Uh, I'm a grown man. I'll be back on Saturday. Yeah. I'll be available for these games. I'm available for Real Madrid this weekend. But for the third place playoff, I'm going shopping with the wife. Look at, you know look what? at the starting 11s. Yeah, look at the starting 11s. You don't think Roberto Martinez was doing that anyways? I'm actually shocked that Thibaut Courtois played. But that's it. They're looking. The managers are trying to look after their players. The yeah. players are trying to look after themselves. But no organization is looking after them. And yeah. we talk about what the tipping point is. And we got Arsene Wenger and FIFA's fate accompli nonsense recommendations for fixing football, which fixes absolutely nothing. Their fix for burned out players was another f***ing tournament, you moron, right? It was never going to be a good idea to do that, but they're pushing it like it's exactly what they're going to do. The only way to stop it now is players being more brave like Courtois and Courtois being more brave by saying, you know what? Nah. I ain't doing it, mate. I play for Real Madrid. I do 40 games a year. You pick what 40 games they are. I play for Belgium. I'll give you five games. Pick whatever five games. You don't want to pick me? It's absolutely fine. You want to dock my wages? It's absolutely fine. Five million pound a year. Make it three million pound a year. I do 30 weekends a year. Okay? That's what I do. Because that's where we're heading. Because at the moment, no one's protecting them. No improvement of football is protecting them. And what we're getting is some real knackered looking players and some yeah. dodgy games and continual discussion about how further can they go? They'll push it until they can't push it anymore. And can't push it anymore is not a very nice place. But it's got to come from the players. That's all there is. So in other news, uh, Newcastle got bought last week uh, by definitely not the Saudi Arabian royal family, even though the, <laughs> the head of the Saudi Arabian royal family is the head of the public investment fund, which owns 80% of Newcastle. But the Premier League are assured there's no connection between the two. Oh, I just had my head saying that. Um... Again, England sells off its institutions and its football clubs to, to, to foreign money because I'm not even sure what this con country is at this point. Um, but I don't have a conversation here about the morality of the whole thing because there frankly isn't any, but uh, we are where we are. My question to you is in terms of the football team now, right? Because th these new owners have come in and whatever people think of them, they've come in, they've bought the club and they can't be stopped. Yeah, And... Immediately, the talk is they're going to sack Steve Bruce before the Tottenham game next week. It's on Sirius XMFC in the US if you want to listen on the Sunday. Um, he may be sacked by the time this podcast comes out Monday morning. I don't know. But 
Already it goes to, we're going to sack the manager. Already it goes to Antonio Conte, first favourite. Lucien Favre, second favourite. Roberto Martinez, third favourite. Steven Gerrard, fourth favourite. I did that for him. Uh, yada, 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 yada. Brendan Rodgers, another one of your mates, like sixth favourite. Graham yeah. Jones will take over as caretaker and all this sort of stuff. Who are they going to buy in the January transfer window? They're going to get, in January, Martial, Lingard, Lindelof from Man United. In the next window, if they stay up, they're going to get... Mbappe and they, you know, blah 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 blah, and I don't know. Is this is this how this is going to go now? Is this going to be, as far as you can see it, another Man City thing? Do you think that this ludicrous amount of investment, if they do back it up with cash into the club, is going to see Newcastle become the biggest club in England in five years? Yeah, I, I don't know what the timing looks like. Uh, this was uh, re- now we're regurgitating in real time what it was supposed to be. Is it going to be Pochettino? Is it going to be Jose Mourinho? Who's going to be the next manager of Newcastle United? And at the time, the Premier League uh, denied said purchase and we were in limbo. So Steve Bruce becomes the guy right now. Where do we go from here? Because if you go back to Man City, I just think for me, Man City investment, infrastructure, money, all of that everyone can overlook because it's the sale of football. It's the mon- uh, m- monopolizing of football. I get all that. You can you can bend your morality, if you will, with regards to how you view what you're... Oh, well, <laughs> I'll just leave it there. Um, yeah. It, where do they start? I'm more, I'm more intrigued about where they start. Less yeah, about well, the timeline. What, what happens over the next like eight weeks? Because if they yeah. say Bruce is gone and they yeah. have a caretaker in for Tottenham, this team aren't going to beat Tottenham. So take that away. Then you've got to bring in a new manager to work with this squad yeah. for the next 30 games. This squad have got no wins in the league this season. Yeah. They can't win a game. They're out of the cup. And, you know, Steve Bruce may have been a bit hard done by. He might be a rubbish coach. I don't know what the answer is to Steve Bruce. I do yeah. know that when he leaves this job, he probably won't get another one and shouldn't because when you see him outside of work, he's one of the most fun, jovial, enjoyable people to speak to. He's a good laugh, you know. When you see him in work, he doesn't like being Terrible. a football manager. Yeah. So why does he keep taking jobs? He doesn't <laughs> like it. Does he need the money? I don't know at this point. I'm sure he doesn't. He's had enough jobs and Blunt a great career. yeah. I mean, yeah. at this point, stop well, doing it, Steve. Please, to, stop to, doing it. Come work your, for us. And to your point, you think about, okay, Rubinho, right? Rubinho. Yeah, that, that's, Alano, Joe. Yeah. Who was I mean, the other one? Giovanni, I think they bought. So, so what are we looking at? We're, we're looking at Coutinho. We're looking at Aaron Ramsey. I mean, what are they going to buy? Donny van der Beek? Uh, this in January for a relegation battle as well. That's the thing. Yeah, Coutinho with Newcastle window. in 16th. Yeah. yeah. Uh, really? Yeah. So you got 150 million to spend. Why don't you go get Usman Dembele, who's played what, like 36 matches since he's left Borussia Dortmund for Barcelona? I, for as much as, for as much as you know, people celebrate Manchester City and celebrate PSG. Remember, you're you're gonna have to spend a lot of money, right? You're gonna have to yeah. break. There, there's no, there's gonna be no wage structure. You are going to, if if you go get Zlatan Ibrahimovic or you go get Edinson Cavani or you go get those type of Thiago Silva you are literally convincing them to be a part of a project for five years of their career to mm. not win anything. And you can talk about, Oh, financial, we're in financial fair play. Perfect. We got great. We, we got incredible money. We're going to invest. Well, it's still going to take you forever to build a team. Did you say as- that um, Newcastle have invested or underinvested so much uh, in the last few years that financial fair play actually will thing. barely come into the equation because yeah. they haven't spent the money. Yeah. Mike Ashley out. So bad. <laughs> Double birds, Mike Ashley out. Yeah, I, I, whatever. It, it's 
in the short term, it's going to be a huge distraction to everybody because we're all going to be intrigued to see what the infrastructure and the money to the city of Newcastle for the club itself, for the training facility, for all of that, what mm. that looks like behind the scenes. They're, they're, allegedly, they're going to try to mimic exactly what we see at Man City. That'll be incredible for the football club, for the city itself, for the fans, for all of that. I get all that. On the field, I, th- this idea that you're going to become instant winners, we're going to put to play what our plan is, great. But that means you're going to have to convince massive, massive players to be a part of this. The wage structures, the wage bills, all of that, it's monopoly money. But more importantly, you're going to have to find the pieces that can still play with all of these huge players that you're allegedly are going to sign over the next couple of years. So uh, forget about winning the league. My, My first stage is qualifying for Europe and not qualifying for necessarily Champions League, just qualifying for Europe. So I think they're years off. We'll see what it all looks like. From but, yeah, I mean, there, there's no apologies for what this public investment fund, this investment vehicle of Saudi Arabia, mm. is going to be doing over the next couple of years. I mean, the first thing is stay in the Premier League, and mm. everyone, I guarantee you, this wants Newcastle to get relegated. Everybody, every mm. man and his wife wants Newcastle to get relegated. And now, when you played Newcastle previously, it was a bit like, oh, okay. They were good in the 90s. You know, no one really has, had, has a great hatred or great love for Newcastle outside of Newcastle. Now, yeah. everyone is going to want to thrash Newcastle. Spurs who will be the first of the big six to go in terms of who they could usurp in the coming years. Um, they'll be looking to murder them this weekend. And every single team now will want to completely murder them. Everyone has got massive motivation to get one over on Newcastle. I think they're in massive trouble. I think Newcastle this season could be a massive, massive trouble, and they could be the most expensive so, club in the championship next year. So let me, let me ask you this. From, from an American perspective, Newcastle United, Alan mm. Shearer, kind of the history of, of, of that kit, it rings true to a lot of people here in the States. Mm. It, does, it, does it have that same gravitas over there? Generationally, it does. Like for people of my generation and my sort of age, kind of mid-30s, people who grew up in the 90s, Newcastle were everyone's second favourite team. And yeah. I, I say that because in the northeast of England, it's so far from everything. Right? It's so far from London where I am. It's so far even from the, the northwest, Liverpool, Man United, Man City, that sort of area. It's so far from Sheffield. It's so far from Norwich, everywhere. It's near nothing apart from the couple of neighbours they have who are notable being Middlesbrough and Sunderland. Um, but the North East is sort of its own world. Yeah. And because of that, no one hated Newcastle. No one even considered Newcastle because they come from space. And so when they <laughs> were brilliant in the 90s, and when they had Andy Cole and Rule Fox and Keith Gillespie and, and, Ro- and Rob Lee, and that became Alan Shearer and Faustino Espria and David Ginola, and Philippe Albert, that three-year period under Keegan and the first bit under Kenny Dalglish, it was incredible. And Man United were so lucky to have started to winning to win the league when they did because they won the league in the first flushes of Premier League money. If they won the league the year previous and Leeds won it the year after, we would be in a different world right now, whatever yeah. way you slice it. They were dominant in the opening 10, 12 years because they had the most money and nobody else could possibly catch up, plus a golden generation of players who come through. We could talk about the most elite coach in the history of the British Isles and all that, but it all fell into place at the right time for that club. Newcastle were the one that was going to take it from them with that team. And people love watching them. And now there was no pragmatism and there was no like, hold on for a 1-0. They were so cavalier. 
And they were so entertaining. And if you go back and watch some of their games right now, you know, we speak to Warren Barton every now and then. It was at one point the record signing for Newcastle was six million pounds in about 95. Big money spent then. They had some money to spend then. They were just so joyous. Um, And it was kind of held together on the emotional fragility of Kevin Keegan, which eventually cracked and it all fell apart very quickly. Then the financial issues and blah, blah, blah. But they are a kind of beloved team for a certain generation from that period. No one's really thought about them in 20 years. But that night with Espria's hat-trick against Barcelona, Mm. live on BBC One in this country, like 15, 20 million viewers watched that game. Um, Or ITV One, sorry, I want to be BBC, but uh, Terrestrial TV. It, It lives long in the memory of a lot of sports fans. So that's why it's been such a conflicting story because people like me want to see a strong Newcastle. We love the shirts. We love the club. They gave us some great memories of our childhoods and why we first started loving football. Um, and there's something kind of mythical about the Northeast. You know, they don't wear coats. You know, it's one of those, <laughs> one of those places for us. Yeah, you know, yeah it's a tough people. Yeah. It's a tough people and they're one club, one city. So I'm in London and we have six Premier League clubs. Yeah. You know, you can walk from one rival to the other. You know, Liverpool obviously have two across a park from each other. Manchester, blah, blah, blah. Sunderland is miles away from Newcastle, which in turn is miles away from Middlesbrough. They're big cities with big industrial histories and they all deserve to have a good team, which they've not had for a long time. And it's very cold and it's very wet. <laughs> and everyone out there, you go out on night in Newcastle, it's shorts and T-shirts in December. They're yeah, hard yeah, people, you know, yeah. rhino skin. So, you know, you want them to do well, but then you. this is why it's been such a tough story to cover last week because you throw Saudi Arabia's diabolical human rights record on top of it and the obvious sports watching that's happening. And if they win the Champions League in 20 years time, I want to be pleased for these people. I really do. But is the institution that we used to love the institution that is Mm. there now? And the answer is no. So it's a conflicting one. Hey, by the way, Mike Ashley, you think he buys Derby County? Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Mike Ashley, right? understandable that everyone hates him at Newcastle because he's wanted out for at least nine years. And um, I mean, 300 million to be fair, is not a lot for Newcastle. I think that's a steal in it terms really of the, is, the cost yeah. of clubs must be a lot of stuff we don't know about there, but that's a pretty, that's a steal of a, of a deal for them. Um, that's literally what Saudi Arabia, their public investment funds spend on like Prosecco for but, international by, by visitors the way, on a year. Real Salt Lake is valued at 400 million right now. Is that real? Yeah. You work there. Yeah, at the club. Yeah. That is mad. And they've got a terrible name too. Um, but Mike Ashley, definitely, but I'm convinced of it because Mike Ashley is a genius businessman. He doesn't care what you think. doesn't mm. care what I think. He literally was happy to piss off the entire city of Newcastle. He didn't give a damn. And, you know... I don't and like Glasgow. him personally. And Glasgow with the Rangers. Yeah, what he did Everybody, yeah. everybody. Yeah. He literally, like, you know, but he will take it like the same way he recently took House of Fraser. He, I, I read a biography of him. He bought his first clothing shop with a, I think it's a 10 grand loan from his mother. So she loaned him 10 grand. He opened up the first, what would have, I don't know if it was called Sports Direct. And he's gone on to build this massive empire by being this, seemingly financially illiterate yet cutthroat businessman. <laughs> There's so many juxtapositions about Mike Ashley, but he's a genius. He mm. just has incredible judgment about these things for making money for himself. So I think he will buy Derby because Derby have incredible, incredible potential. 
Uh, but then we've said that for the last 20 years and what happens? Not much. I know we were overrunning a little bit on today's programme, but I do need to bring up one final thing in terms of football. And then I want to ask you about s'mores. Um, but I don't know if you saw this this week. Jamal Lewis, who is a Newcastle player, Northern Ireland international, was sent off in the game between Switzerland and Northern Ireland for taking too long to take a throw in. <laughs> 37th minute, already yellow card. Jamal Lewis has the ball in his hands and there was just nowhere to throw this ball in. He had the ball in his hands for 17 seconds, which is a lot. A lot. But it's the 37th minute and the score is nil-nil. He is not time-wasting here. 17 seconds to decide where to throw the ball in. But but if you watch it, he's like, there's no one there. There's no one there. Down again. Chuck it down the line. Get the group up. Let's go. Exactly. like He's he's moments away from doing that Sunday league football. Just lust it down the line and fingers crossed. Anyway, one thing I can guarantee you, he is not time-wasting. There is like an hour of football to be played, a whole other half, and he gets a second yellow. I'm not sure what the first one was for, but a second yellow from the referee, who I think didn't realise he already yellowed him. Mm. But what kind of moron referee would give a second yellow to a player for not taking a throw in quick enough inside the first half? Yeah. How do you feel? This infuriated me. I know it infuriated um, Ian Barrowcraft, who's Northern Ireland manager. Jamal Lewis was baffled by it. Can you have you got sent off for this? What would you do? No, well, and, and if I'm not mistaken, didn't Switzerland score in the dying moments of the match to get yep. the game winner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it cost them massively. It cost them yeah. massively. They're like six so, points behind in in Group C now. I think. Yeah, uh, we referees. I, I need to keep my my referee equity up high. I'm doing a good job this year because <clears throat> I got an email a couple of years ago that says, "What can we do to keep Dunseth in line with our better broadcast partners?" Um, I don't think they were supposed to include that part when I got the email. Um, I like referees that manage games and that's not a, that's a manageable situation. You can blow the whistle. You can come over. You can say, you can do the whole demonstrative. No, last warning, last warning. And you can do the whole thing where he knows he's got one more warning, but I agree with you. It's, it's a qualifier. You're 37 minutes into the match. Hey, by the way, like you not being able to watch the U.S. game, I can't even watch highlights because you're stupid Sky Sports over there. Every uh, time they put a video up on Tweet Deck and I try to click through it, it says, can't watch video in your region. Yeah. Gotta so protect I those rights, baby. So I got to read those so rights. So I got to read it. So I read it and I thought it was stupid as well. Just yeah. manage the game better. There's no reason to send him off. Although 17 seconds throw the damn ball in yeah throw it in but um, maybe we should start bringing a clock in on screen but as soon as he gets it in his hands 10 uh, 9 we'll eight, take six seconds it in. it's like when a, when a keeper is holding the ball that's not still a seconds. thing is it is that still it, a thing it's supposed to be a thing is it did it not get taken out of the rules i don't know it was the last time you saw it called i mean it doesn't happen it doesn't happen i know it was no. a big everyone had a real yeah. hard on about it in like 1998 and they go like come on the rest like come on <laughs> Kick the ball. But you know, in this in this one, I went, as you know, I went to the West Ham Brentford game the other week, and I've done a few mm-hmm. Brentford games. A Brentford tactic is to not take the throw into the last possible second. There was one throw in that yeah. took about 40 seconds. And because the referee, uh, I forget which one it was now, but was such a sucker, they were like, he's not going to punish us for this. So yeah. take your time, do your dark shoelace arts. up. Yeah, dark arts. Dry the ball a bit. So on one hand, I think this is a joke. On the other hand, I think I'd love to have seen Brentford go down to eight men every week 
for but, just ruining football, being the know, 90s Wimbledon we all love and hate. I, I love it when a guy like takes his time as a throw-in, guy drops the ball, waits for like the left midfielder to come back. The left midfielder comes, picks the ball up, and he looks over, and then the left back's walking his way. So he tosses the ball over to the left back. It's, <laughs> it, it's, like, the, it's like Liverpool, Andy Robertson's got a, the long throw every single time. So it goes from like, it goes from like Mane into like whoever's in the midfield, Milner, and then it goes to Andy Robertson, and then he checks the ball 60 yards. And it took like 35 seconds for a throw. Yeah. Be clever about it, I suppose. Jamal wasn't clever enough about it. And just luzz it down the line, yeah? Come on. Luzz it. Luzz it. Give it a luzz. One final question this week. Nearly out of time, I know, but uh, you sent us some lovely pictures on, was it Saturday night, of you being outside cooking s'mores with the lads and the dog. <laughs> um, I couldn't think of anything funny to reply <laughs> because I'd just come out of the Bonfield and I was in such a bad mood. I actually drafted a couple of like, re- joke responses and I thought, you know what? I'm just not in the mood. Mm. <laughs> I just went to bed. I was with waiting. The there was no response. I was, I was sad. I, I was, I was like, Hey, but it looks great. Rainy. It looks great. I like, I took the picture. I had a, I had some alcoholic beverage in me. The fire was going. I was like, Randy, it's almost s'mores time. Yeah. You didn't respond. So then I had to do yeah. the s'mores picture. I figured out. So by the way, I told you guys, I bought a trailer. We went camping this weekend, went up to lava hot springs in Idaho. It's a couple hours away. It was raining. You would think it'd be terrible. It was actually amazing. We sat in the hot tubs. Uh, the Ooh, hot yeah. pots. They're called the hot pots. Um, and we sat hot in the rain. Hot pots. Hot pots is what they call them up in right. Idaho. Hot pots. Like a Lancashire hot pot. I guess. I don't know what that yeah. means, but yes. And so there's a bunch of different... You don't like, know what a Lancashire hot pot is? No, what is it? Well, it's in Lancashire, when they had no money, they'd get a pot and they'd put all the food they had in the house hmm. and then they would just cook it in a pot and then your dinner was a Lancashire hot pot. What's in it? Guess we'll find out. Well, okay. Lancashire hot pot. Okay. There we go. I, I appreciate that. Uh, no, now I know what it is. But it's like uh, there's a pot of hot water you just get in naturally occurring. Okay. Yeah. And so it's it's hot springs. Have you ever been right. in hot springs? Yeah. So it's like a bath, a hot, hot springs, same type of thing. Uh, but they have like different like, you know, sections, 102, 105, 106, 110. Gets hotter and hotter. Anyways, we sat in the rain. It was amazing. Then we, uh, we, we went fishing. Um, we did the s'mores. And my wife figured out a new, she made a little addition. Okay. Okay. So you can put the Hershey chocolate inside the marshmallow. You actually stick it inside the marshmallow before mm. you put it on the spigot, and then you put it out there and you cook it. And then you put it in between in between the graham cracker. It was amazing. I did one. I'll throw a little wrinkle in it. Reese's Pieces peanut butter cup. Oh, right in the middle of and I and I actually like that more, Rennie. Like we should what we should start marketing our own s'mores. We could mm. do week in the tackle s'mores. It was so let's, good. Let's come up with our own s'mores okay. designs, and we'll see who's best. We'll make okay. them at some point. I, I, I can't get Graham crackers, but I'll try to get something similar, <laughs> and uh, I'll try and make. I'll try and make some. You, you want to know what the worst part about s'mores is? You All can really it. only eat like half of one. If Why? Because they're so rich. It's so it's it's yeah, it's too much. And you have to eat outside, and I'm not an animal. <laughs> so, You're a marsupial. I like to eat uh, when there's four walls around me, preferably with weight stuff. Otherwise, I think I'd you like would have eat. had fun. I think you would have you had think? fun. Yeah, I think you would have had fun with us. Yeah, yeah. I think you oh, it, looked, it looked great. It did look great. Where's I'm sorry that? I couldn't think of a joke. Blame Daniel Craig. Um, but I couldn't think of a joke. But it did look great. And I still haven't eaten me Pop-Tart s'mores. So I will really? do that as well. I haven't eaten them. I haven't eaten them. Not at the time. No, the time can't, not got around. Not the calories left at the end of the day. I ain't got the time. Not at the time. But I'll get around to it. I'll do it. Amazing. I'll contribute to this podcast one day. 
this week. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We don't know how it was edited because uh, Tim Horsey, our producer, is so hungover, we're not sure we listened to any of the programme. But it's wedding season, you know, we accept that from the team, mainly because usually me if you do have a love of this program you should give us a five-star rating maybe a solid review as well something like rennie is great not sure about the other one uh subscribe on apple Podcasts, stitcher pandora wherever you get your podcasts we can attack is also available on the sxm app it is free for sirius xm subscribers just download today tap podcast you also get video clips on twitter and instagram at sirius xm fc Week in the Tackle is part of the SiriusXM podcast network and is produced by Tim Horsey. The executive producer is Pete Corey. Sound design was by Joey DeFazio. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM FC's program director, Joe Tolleson. SiriusXM Podcasts.